We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. All right, good evening. We are continuing in Nehemiah. Uh, Last week we looked at Nehemiah 2. Uh, This week we're going to move on to Nehemiah 3. But before we get into the text, I just want to remind you where we are in the story and the general themes that we've seen so far um, through this section of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, we've been talking about this cycle of rebuild, restore. Um, we've seen that kind of cycle. There's also another pattern that we see in Nehemiah that you might have picked up in the last couple chapters. Uh, in Nehemiah, there's a lot of back and forth between success or some moving of the plot and then opposition. And so you see this moving back and forth between success and opposition. So in chapter two, just as a reminder, um, two, one through eight, Nehemiah approaches the king. He gets permission to return. So we have success. Now he's ready to go. And then in two, nine through 10, you get the opposition, the first um, mention of the guys that will be opposing the rebuilding of the wall back in chapter two. Then... In verse 11 through 20 of chapter 2, you see uh, success again. And then in the chapters, kind of looking at the end of 2, you see the opposition pop up again. And so today we're going to look at success again. Uh, And then next week, Mike's going to take us through how the opposition starts to act upon the threats that we saw in chapters two. So just a reminder of of how two ended. We see in 2.20, Nehemiah 2.20. So I answered them and said, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, are his, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. So he tells the opposition, you can't stop us. God is behind us. We are going to build the wall, okay? And furthermore, you will have no memorial. You'll have no portion. You'll have no right to God's work. You are outside the camp. And what's interesting is all of chapter three follows that with a memorial to the people who were part of the work, right? So he tells Tobiah and Sambalat, you have no portion, you'll have no, no memorial, but the people that were faithful will. And this is what we see in chapter three. And <clears throat> most of you know this about me, but I love history. I love church history. And my favorite characters aren't necessarily the big theologians or the kings or the big powerful people. It's instead these stories of faithful people following God in small ways, because that's really what the majority of us are destined for, right? Is being faithful in our areas, faithful to what God has called us to. And so I'm going to give you some examples, because I think that is what we see in Nehemiah 3, is faithful people working in small ways, doing big things. Um, So some examples, you've probably heard of Augustine. Augustine, the greatest theologian uh, in the late early church, early medieval church. Um, He attributed his salvation to God, first off, but to the persistent teaching and prayer of his mom. So here's a woman who is faithful Christian teaching her kids, not destined for anything necessarily great, but led to Christ, the greatest theologian that the Western world's ever seen, all right? 
Do you have to be a big name to make a big impact? No, okay. Uh, another example, you've probably never heard of this guy, Melchior Volmar. It's a good German name. He was a Lutheran during the Reformation who was a Greek teacher. That was the only trade that he had, and he'd go around teaching Greek to people. And he taught Greek at the University of Orléans for a brief period. And one of his students was this Catholic guy who was planning on being a lawyer named John Calvin. And he taught Calvin Greek. And Calvin started reading his Bible. That led to Calvin then becoming the reformer you probably know. So here's a guy who's just a faithful teacher teaching language, but impacts all of church history through his students. His other student was a guy named Beza. Beza takes over after Calvin in Geneva and continues the Reformation in Switzerland long after Volmar and Calvin are gone. So yet again, a faithful guy, small position, doing God's work, who makes a huge impact to a small little area. I'll give you a couple more examples. John War was a cobbler's apprentice. Right? You can't get much lower than that. He made shoes. Uh, he made shoes. And he would, as he's working, he'd put together shoes and he would share with the other apprentices. And one of those is a guy named William Carey, the father of modern missions, who came to Christ through the faithful ministry of this cobbler, who's just sharing with his friends. And then William Carey would then challenge the church to send the gospel to the world. He would go out as one of the first missionaries of England, establish a base in India, and founded 26 churches, 126 schools, translated scripture into 44 languages, produced grammars, dictionaries, first medical missions, first bank, first seminary, first India girls' school, first vernacular newspaper in Bengali. All of this from one faithful little cobbler sharing the gospel with his coworker. You don't have to have a big name to make a big impact. Um, final example, because this will tie all the way here to Denton Bible. Uh, in the mid-19th century, there was a volunteer school teacher named Edward Kimball, who had a small class of boys that he was training. And there was one that was especially ornery. So he tracked him down at the kid's work, which he worked at a uh, shoe store in the back room. He found him in the stock room, shared the gospel with him, led that guy to Christ. That kid's name, Dwight Moody, who became the most famous 19th century evangelist, established Moody Bible Institute, did evangelisms all across the U.S., which then led to the conversion of Wilbur Chapman, another evangelist, who led a guy named Billy Sunday to Christianity, the most famous evangelist of the early 20th century. Billy Sunday led a guy named Mordecai Ham, who started going traveling across the South and ran into a guy named Billy Graham that he shared the gospel with. And then Billy Graham was doing an evangelism crusade. And one of our own, Tracy Jacobson, as a six-year-old, heard the gospel from Billy Graham, became a Christian, married Al Jacobson, came here to the Bible, started Vision Ministries, which blessed our city and helped those in poverty, and now has started a new ministry because one's not enough uh, and is doing backyard Bible clubs all across town, right? So do you have to have a big name to make a big impact? You just got to be faithful. And that's what I love about this chapter is mostly unknown people other than their faithful ministry in this context. And God records them and their work and gives them a memorial and a portion, something that Tobiah and Symbolic do not get as the opposition of the work, 
All right. So is everybody with me? Ready to see these names, these heroes of the faith that many of them you've never heard of and probably can't pronounce? And that's okay. These are faithful people that are stepping up to do God's work in whatever way they can. So uh, before I jump into the walking through the names, let's look at the general structure just so you don't get lost because it's a lot of names. It's a lot of places. You probably don't know where these are and that's okay. But the general flow of this chapter is they're gonna start at the sheep gate. They're gonna travel around the Western wall. Then they're gonna come up the Eastern wall and go back, all right? So it's going counterclockwise around the city. And so he's gonna trace and talk about each section and who worked in those sections. So if you need like a general structure, you can see the first half is the Western wall. And there's a language thing that he uses to give you an indication of which wall. For the Western wall, he says next to him. So so so-and-so did his work, then next to him, so-and-so did his work, next to him, so-and-so does his work. Then in verse 16, it switches, all right? It switches to after him. So that's how you know Western wall versus Eastern wall. So halfway through verse 16, um, it'll switch to after him, after him. So-and-so did this and then after him. Um, The other kind of indicator you get is these gates. Whenever he hits a gate, that's another division as he goes around and tells you the people. So um, this week, there's not any big points necessarily, but you kind of get a general idea geographically of the structure of chapter three. So let's, let's jump in, in verse one of chapter three. Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachary, the son of Emery built. Okay, so we start off with a high priest, right? The, the center of the Jewish life was the temple, the sacrifices, following God. And so it makes sense we start with him. And notice what he does. It's not just that he built the gate, but he consecrated it. What is Elisha saying about the success of the ministry? Is it based on their building ability, their intelligence? No, it's they need to consecrate this to God. This is his work. And so we start this out by dedicating it to God, to consecrating it to God. Um, And who is this guy, the high priest? This is the grandson of Jeshua, the one that returned with Zerubbabel. So he's continuing that legacy of faithful ministry, rebuilding the city, restoring the worship. And it also is significant that they start at the sheep gate. That's the gate where the sacrifices for the temple would come in and be prepared for the sacrifice. We wanna make sure that that ministry continues, right? We need to make sure that our uh, worship of God is first and preeminent. So we see the high priest start with this gate so that we can continue the sacrifices and worship as we work. Um, Other things in, in this early section, notice that he has help with the other priests and then he has help of people even outside of Jerusalem. That's one of the amazing things about this chapter is how many people come from far away to help. The men of Jericho um, come and they help rebuild a portion of the wall. This is not just a local Jerusalem problem, is it? This is a Jewish problem. 
all of Judea needs to be involved. We are doing this unto God. It is his work. As Nehemiah said, it's a reproach to us before God that these walls are down. And so people outside the city will join in and help out. Uh, Verse three, right? Moving on to our second gate. Now the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hagcox, made repairs. Next to him, Meshulam uh, made repairs. Next to him, Zadok made repairs. Okay, so the fish gate, we're moving uh, counterclockwise from the sheep gate, kind of going around the uh, northwest section. Gonna move, start moving down the western wall. Um, and a couple interesting people here, Merimoth, who is this guy? Um, he was one of the leaders of the priest in Ezra 8.33. In fact, he's the one that receives the temple works, the, the um, utensils that Ezra brought back from um, Persia. Do y'all remember that story? It's been several weeks, but Ezra without any escort, takes all of the gold and silver and the utensils of the temple and he makes it. And then they present it in front of the temple. Well, this guy is there. He's the one that collects that. And so he is a major part of this ministry and in fact will um, do a second part of the wall. So what we see not only is like, there's a variety of people involved. You got priests, we'll talk about other groups here in a second, but some people have double portion work right? And that's fine. All of us are called to different areas. Merrimoth will have the ability to repair two pieces. And so he'll do that. He's not content to just finish his section and be done. It's like, I need to make sure to help and I'm going to help out where I can. So we'll see him later on doing a different section in verse 21. Um, Meshulam, another interesting name out of here. He is the father-in-law of the son of Tobiah. So he's got a family issue, all right? The opposition, he's related through this marriage, the opposition, but he puts God first. Is that a problem sometimes? Where family can be the opposition, family can be an area of tension, uh, family can have different ideas of what ministry is like. And so Meshulam is going to be involved in the wall despite uh, this distant relative Tobiah's opposition. All right, verse five, moreover, next to him, so notice the repetition of next to him, so we're still on the Western wall, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. So here's the first kind of indication of opposition. Uh, first, Tekoa is the city of Amos, right? That's where the prophet Amos is from. Um, so it has this history and connection to that. And the people are the ones that get involved despite their nobles' opposition. Now, the text doesn't tell us why the nobles don't join in. Could be that they were just lazy. Could be that they didn't wanna get their hands dirty, you know. Um, But it's also, it could be they are close to the land of Geshem the Arab, one of the other opposition people. So it could be they're scared of the political repercussions of doing the work of God. Can there be political repercussions to fallen God? Possibly. See 
modern culture, see first century church, see just about every other period of church history. Um, So it could be that these guys are scared of what these opposition guys will do to the town so they don't join in. But the people are still dedicated. The people still join in. The people still get involved. And in fact, the Zechoites are going to repair two sections of the wall as well. We'll see them here and also in verse 27, that they're so dedicated to the work that they're going to come and help. And their home is 12 miles away. So this is not like skipping over to the neighbor and, and helping out. It's, it's a commitment to come be involved, to come help with the wall. Um, Okay, so the old gate, that's the next gate. Jehoiada um, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams, hung its doors with bolts and bars. Next to him, uh, Melatiah, the Gibeonites, and Jadon the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon, and Mizpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. So we got another group of people. The people of Gibeon, the whole city comes and helps. Okay, Uh, Mizpah, located about eight miles north of Jerusalem, their people come and help, even though they have other responsibilities. Um, Notice they're supposed to be repairing the area for the local governor, but they put this wall first. We want to help out. We want to get involved. We want to be a part of this rebuilding effort. Next to him, this is verse 8, Uziel, the son of Harat. Hariah of the goldsmiths made repairs. Did y'all catch that? We had priests, we had Levites, we had common people, we have goldsmiths. This is involving everyone from various levels of society, everyone from various backgrounds, gifts, and trades. And so now we have the goldsmiths getting involved. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs. Um, I wouldn't normally think of going to a perfumer to help with construction, but this is all part of the body, the people of God getting together to help out in this uh, repairs, okay? And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So tradesmen, um, wealthy tradesmen, giving up weeks of their livelihood, months of their livelihood to help with this wall in order to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Um, Verse nine, we see some more characters. Uh, You see politicians get involved and actually get their hands dirty. Okay, wouldn't that be great if we could make our politicians actually do some work? Uh, So you see um, Repiah, the son of Hur, the official of the half district of Jerusalem made repairs. That's verse nine. So he's over half of the city. And so he gets involved in building up uh, repairs and building up parts of the wall. Um, Jedediah, the son, this is verse 10, made repairs opposite his house. So people who are far away from the project are involved. People that are next to the wall are involved. And they have a good reason to be involved, right? They want to make sure that wall is built up around the house. And so Nehemiah is taking advantage of that situation and and allowing them to rebuild the parts around their home. Um, Other interesting characters, verse 11, Melchijah, the son of Haram, all right, and Hashem repaired another section in the Tower of Furnaces. 
Now that guy should stick out, Micaiah. It's, he's in another list elsewhere. He's in another list elsewhere. He is found also in Ezra 10, 31. Do y'all remember how the book of Ezra ended? What happened at the book of Ezra? Ezra had a big problem he had to deal with. He gets back, he gets the people back, he gets the utensils back, there's this high. Then what does he discover? What does he find out? That the people have compromised. There's been intermarriage, people that are mixing with the surrounding groups. And so he has to address that. And so he proposes a separation. It's, it's clearing this out, okay? And we talked about how there was a process by which they investigated these, these mixed marriages, this mixed religion. And so some of the people repented and sent their wives away, provided for them, sent them away, but separated. This is one of those guys. So we have... The high priest who's been faithful and his grandfather helped start all of this and has been faithful. And we have a repentant sinner who was caught in terrible sin who's a part of the work. Does that sound like the people of God? That God can use all types. The ones that have been faithful all their lives, the ones that had a terrible background and got repented, okay? That's him, Elkijah, repented, had sent away his, this mixed marriage and is now part of the work. He has now been restored to the people and can partake in the work, amen? And that's all of us, right? That we were once sinners, we had to repent and now you can be restored to the people of God and the work of God. Um, verse 12, another interesting character next to him, Shulam, uh, the official of the other half district of Jerusalem made repairs, he and his daughters. So we have high priest, we have repentant guy, we have goldsmiths, we have perfumers, we have men and we have women. Everyone has a role to play in this construction project. Everyone has a role in the work of God. Okay. Everyone can participate and have some area where they can help out and, and be a part of this work. So Shulam and his daughters repair a section. Uh, verse 13, we have the valley and refuge gate. Um, Hanan, the inhabitants of Zenoa, repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with bolts and bars, and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuge gate. That's the gate that led out to where trash was um, deposited. Eventually, we call Gehenna when we get to the time of Christ. So these guys um, are from a city 14 miles southwest of Jerusalem. So they've come from the hill country to come join the work and participate. They dedicate time, effort, energy, money, their livelihood to come participate in this section. And they build a large section, about 1,500 feet of wall between these two gates. Then in verse 15, you have the fountain gate. Um, another Shalem, the official of the district of Mizpah. Okay, another politician from another city coming and joining to participate in the repairing of the city. Um, repaired the fountain gate, verse 15. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with bolts and its bars, and the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. So now we're getting to, um, we've completed the western wall, we're getting down to the city of David, and we'll start making our way back up 
to the temple. And so this, this pool is probably the same as the king's pool mentioned in Nehemiah 2. Remember, he had run into some problems checking out the city and had to get off of his mount. Okay, so this is the kind of same location. And now we're starting to rebuild that old part of the city of David and start moving up the eastern wall in verse 16. Okay, so verse 16, after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, a different Nehemiah, official of the half district of Beth Zur, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David. And notice, even in this list, they're pointing out the history, right? The connection to the king, the connection to the kingdom, the hope of a new king. Right? We mentioned the tombs. We mentioned the old king's area. We are still hoping for that restoration, which doesn't happen until Christ. Right? So it's these little echoes here that are kind of pointing to that restoration. Um, so opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of mighty men. After him, the Levites. So we have priests. We have Levites. Goldsmiths, perfumers, average guys, repentant, you know, sinners. We have men, we have women. Um, Every type, every walk, every type of person is involved. And so the Levites under Rehum, the son of Bani, are involved. Next to him, Heshabiah, the official of the half district of Kela, uh, carried out the repairs for his district. So that's another area, another area. politician from outside Jerusalem coming to help, okay? Uh, Verse 18, okay, verse 18. After him, their brothers carried out repairs under, that's probably Bani, the son of Hinnadad. He's mentioned twice here in verse 18. And then later on, he rebuilds another section. So yet again, some people, um, because of their gifting or ability or resources, are able to participate twice in this rebuilding effort. Here's another example of that. Um, we get another priest, Azer, the son of Jeshua, the official of Mizpah, paired another section. Uh, we get, now we're moving up towards the temple to the house of Eliashib. That's uh, verse 20. Verse 21, after him, Mermoth. Remember him from earlier? Okay, so he got his section fixed. Now he's sec- doing a section of the eastern wall. Uh, repaired another section uh, and after him, priests, the men of the valley carried out repairs. So now we have guys coming from all over. They're not even necessarily from a specific city, but they're coming because of how important of a project this is in the repair of the walls. Um, verse 24, we get Benui again, son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Okay, so... A lot of names, a lot of positions, but I hope you're seeing the mix of backgrounds, locations. Everyone's coming together to take their little piece and do their part of the work of God. Uh, Verse 25, Palal made repairs in front of the angle and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king. Yet again, that reference to the promise of the king of David. Um, You get some more repairs. The water gate. In verse 26, not the infamous one, okay, but the wall uh, in Jerusalem. So we have the water gate in 26, the temple servants, 
priests, Levites, temple servants, everyone's getting involved. Temple servants leaving in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower as far as the wall. Okay, so we have temple servants of the uh, Tekoites who, as you remember, their leaders refuse to participate, but they go out anyway. Okay, we are dedicated to God, not to you. So we're going to get this done. Um, horse gate, above the horse gate, this is verse 28. The priest carried out repairs, each in front of his own house. So the priests of the temple area are getting involved in repairing in front of their homes. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, carried out repairs in front of his house. Then in verse 29, you get the east gate. The keeper of the east gate, Shemaiah, carried out repairs. So he was in charge of the security of the city and was supposed to watch over this entrance to the temple. And so he gets involved. So you got security guards, perfumers, goldsmiths. I mean, that's about as wide out as you can get as far as different backgrounds and jobs involved in this. <clears throat> and then verse 31, Melchizedek, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate and as far as the upper room of the corner. So now we've got goldsmiths, verse 32, goldsmiths and merchants carrying out repairs. Um, and then back to the sheep gate in verse 32. All right. So clear as mud, everybody follow? We've now traced all the way from the Sheets Gate counterclockwise down the Western Wall, all the way to the city of David where we point out the memories of the king and now back up the Eastern Wall to the Sheep Gate. Okay, all of these people, big, small, you got people who have failed in the past that have now repented and been restored. You have kings. And so in conclusion, what are the big points? What are the big takeaways from this large chapter, this large memorial to these faithful people? First off, everyone's involved. You might've picked that up as we went along, but you have um, traditionally walls had built by professionals. You would hire masons, carpenters, things like that. But we don't have that luxury Everybody participates. This is not work just for the professionals. And that's just like the Christian life, right? The church is built up not by the professionals, but by all of us. We all participate. We all have a role, okay? If we were, you know, if Tommy was the only one sharing the gospel, we'd be in trouble, right? We all have a role. And you see all walks of life, the goldsmiths, the, perf the perfumers, the merchants, verse 31, the priests in 1, 21 and 28, the Levites in verse 17, the temple servants in verse 26. You have politicians in 9, 12, 15, uh, 17. You have men and women, the mention of the, the groups. And like I said, the repentance center, everyone is behind this. You have people from Jerusalem, you have people from Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, Mizpah, other cities, areas, villages, rural areas, all coming together because this is an important work. And just like the church is pulled from people of all different types of backgrounds, right? All different places coming together for the work of the ministry. What has God called you to? What is your role in this big work? All right, you may not be famous, that's okay. I'm not ever going to be famous, but we all have some role to play. 
Um, which leads me to a, a verse that I'd like to share with you guys that I think connects to this. So this is the Old Testament people. How does this apply to us as New Testament believers? So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all of the members of the body, though they are many, they are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we're baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And he goes on to talk about how every person has a role. The foot can't be envious of the eye. If we were all eyes, we'd be deaf, right? If we were all ears, we couldn't see. Everybody has a role. So just like these people in uh, chapter three all had an a, a area of the wall or a gate or something that they were working on, we all as members of the body of Christ have something we are called to do. So my challenge to you tonight is to think about what is your role in the church? How do you come alongside the rest of us to do this work of God, okay? Evangelism, teaching, um, encouragement, whatever it is, what are you doing to help this work of God? Um, second big point, <clears throat> God is the one in charge. Nehemiah said this in chapter two. What is our success gonna come from? Verse 220, the God of heaven will give us success. He is the key. So all this is a list of people, right? All of this is a list of, of the faithful people following God, but ultimately the success is because of God. And we see that in the start. They start by consecrating the work, consecrating the wall. The high priest is showing everyone that this is only successful because of God. Um, third point, there will be opposition. In verse four, I mean, chapter four, we'll get on, uh, Mike will continue, and we'll look at how that becomes overt physical <laughs> opposition in some cases. But even here, we see some opposition. The leaders of the Tekoites, the, the main people of the city, don't want to get involved. They're scared or they don't want to, you know, they're too lazy, we don't know, but they don't get involved. And that is opposition. Can that ever happen in a church? People don't want to get involved. They just want to sit and soak, okay? You can't have that. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be problems, but there's going to be challenges that we have to get over. Luckily, God is in charge. Luckily, God is in charge. Um, another point, this one's very subtle, but Nehemiah, did you see him anywhere in this chapter? There was a different Nehemiah, but Nehemiah himself is not in this chapter. And I think that's a great testimony to leadership. He raises up people, he gets them to go and work, but he's not claiming the victory. He's pointing towards God. This is a great example of humble leadership. I want to recognize those that are serving in the trenches, the guys that are building these different sections. He's given them a plan in chapter two, and then he sets them loose. He's still involved, okay, but he wants to recognize his people. I mean, if you think about like modern politicians, what do they want to do when they put up a building? Slap their name everywhere, right? Um, have a little plaque on the corner, get full recognition. Nehemiah doesn't do that, okay? He wants to make sure that these people are recognized, right? These are the guys doing the ministry. 
And then the final point, and I, th- I think this is significant, this rebuilding effort starts with the sheep gate and ends with the sheep gate. Why the sheep gate? That's where the sacrifices come in for the temple. This is the Jewish people realizing their only hope is through sacrifice. Their only hope is through this system. And so I think it's very intentional that they start with this gate and they start the work there. We want to point to that. And then ultimately, the final sacrifice, right? The one that will ultimately bring forgiveness of sins. The one that will ultimately satisfy. Because as many sheep as you bring through, that's never enough, right? What do you need? You need a complete sacrifice. What do you need? Who do you need? Jesus. So let's look at Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. We'll look at a couple verses here. Um, For the law, since it is has only a shadow of the good things to come and not from the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. As many people, I mean, as many sheep that come through the sheep gate, they will never be made perfect. Verse two, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consequence of sin. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The author then continues in 10 through 14, looking at Psalm 40. uh, I'm sorry, 5 up to 9. Then we look at verse 10. By this will, uh, this is Hebrews 10, 10. By this will, we've been sacrificed to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you need the sheep gate anymore? The perfect sacrifice is here. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering, offering the time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies may be made a footstool at his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The guys rebuilding the wall started with the sheep gate, ended with the sheep gate. They were hoping for a sacrifice that could ultimately make them perfect and restore the relationship with God. We have that. Christ has come, he has died for you, he has taken your sins. All you have to do is believe. So if you have never done that, please come talk to us, talk to Mike in the back. We would love to share more about this, the hope that these guys in Nehemiah 3 had for the perfect sacrifice. But I think this is a great way as we continue in September and look at the gospel and how to do outreach, how to do evangelism, how to share that perfect sacrifice of Christ. So let me pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for the faithful work of, of these men and women as they rebuilt the wall. They did the work that you called them to. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here that as we think about how we participate in your work, what you've called us to do as the church, to make disciples, to share the gospel, that we're challenged to step up like these men and women and follow in their example And Lord, I also thank you for the sacrifice of your son, that the hope that these people had for the future we have in reality, that Christ has come, that perfect sacrifice has happened, and we can trust in you. 
Lord, I just thank you for everyone here and pray that we'll go out, that we can share this good news with everyone, and that we can help make disciples of the nations. In your name, amen.